I want to say right at the outset, well done uh, as a church. This is great. It's fantastic to be with you. Well done, well done, well done. It is a job well done. And, and this is uh, something when Reg and I first came in here and the place was a haze of smoke, the bingo machines, we were, uh, you know, eyes down looking, all the numbers and Reg kept winning and I kept losing. I mean, we... <laughs> so we I mean, it's wonderful to see, we were like two spies that spied out this place and said, it's a good land, and truly that has come about. And uh, it's good to see Caleb down there, as strong as he ever is in faith, Reg and Barbara, it's wonderful. But what next is the theme of sort of this morning, and uh, here we have one barn that needs filling. Uh, and in order to fill this barn, I want to. I, I, I've been seeking God about what to bring. I feel there's a battle that needs to be engaged in, and a battle that needs to be won. A battle of faith. And so I want us to be in a little bit of a sort of a militaristic sort of mode this morning, if that's all right. Now, when I used to live down here, we used to go over to Alton and watch the reenactment of the Battle of Alton. I don't know if you've ever done that. But you, it's quite a comical thing, really, because everyone's dressed out in these sort of garbs. And, uh, you know, you have, they've all got their names. Lord Snotsworth of Basildon and uh, Lord Windypants of Bath and what have you. They all sort of come down with their pickaxes and their spikes and they engage in this battle. Whoa, hey, oh. And then sort of a whistle goes off and it's dinner time. And they all sort of wander off. And, and it's like... You're watching this, all excited, cannons going, smoke billowing across the fields, but actually, nothing's really happening. And it reminds me of a situation in Israel that was going on, where it was a very similar thing, 40 days worth of all parading out in their great big finery, all giving the battle cry, and yet the status quo never changed. And you and I can go in and out of our buildings for 40 days, for 40 years, and nothing can change. We can pretend we're the army of God, we can pretend we're the people of God with a great mission, but actually nothing changes. And so this morning's message is really to engage faith to see how things really do change. And uh, I want us to uh, look at some of the giants. I've, I've called this message, Five Smooth Stones... For five great giants. And I want us to read, it's a long reading, but I love this story and it's well worth getting into. If you want to turn up 1 Samuel 17, you can uh, follow it with me. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Succoth in Judah. And they pitched camp at Ephes Damin between Succoth and Ezekar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with a valley in between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale of armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? 
Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and servants. And the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days... The Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Fighting being a bit of a... (coughs) Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, loaded up and, and set out as Jesse had directed him. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. And David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance and David heard it and when the Israelites saw the man they all ran from him in great fear now the Israelites have been saying do you see how this man keeps coming out he comes out to defy Israel the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him he will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt him father's family from taxes in Israel David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And so this report went backwards and forwards. Saul tried to dress David up in his armour and eventually said, No, okay, it doesn't fit. And Saul said to him in verse 37, Go and the Lord be with you. And... uh, Meanwhile, the Philistine, verse 41, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, 
for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And so David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Fantastic, fantastic story. I love this story. It's got so much in it. And uh, I want to suggest to you a little bit of a photo fit, if I may. David picked five smooth stones from the stream bed in which to engage Goliath. And uh, I want to talk about five giants. I want photo fits of giants. What do these giants look like that parade themselves in our nation today? That you can find little, some of them are clearly pictured or photographed in the narrative today. Some are a little bit sort of more blurred, a bit like when you watch this sort of crime watch on television. They have a photo fit identity. I want to suggest to you today there are five giants that are terrorising our nation and they need to come down. Five giants that are terrorising Winchester and that by God's grace he's going to give you the stones to bring them down. What are these giants? First one, great fear. It's a little bit comical when you read this narrative that God's army marches out with its pomp and ceremony. I'm sure there was a bit of verbal. I'm sure the army of Israel, as they went, they started pointing and, yeah, go on, see you, see you, come on. I'm sure there was all that going on until Goliath stepped forward from his ranks and just shouted across his defiance. And with that, the army's, better not say anything more. Keep your head down. Oh, look at this, this spills. I better be careful with this, John. Glad there's no electrics here. Fear is the enemy of faith. You ever want to say yes to God, you will get smacked straight in the face with fear. Every time we're asked to battle, this giant will raise his head and face us. Fear for our safety, fear of illness, fear of losing credibility or standing, fear of offending people, fear of financial setback. Fear is what terrifies you. First thing in the morning, it becomes your first thought, last worry at night. Worried about your children, about your job, about your finances, about your future, about your health. And fear has believers lining up Sunday by Sunday going to church. We're the army of God and yet in truth held captive, terrified. Are you in fear this morning? Fear of death, that's a massive one in our culture. Fear of hardship, fear of pain. Fear for your kids' future. Are they saved? Or where are they going to go on in God? I believe God wants to set people free from fear this morning so that they can move forward. The second giant, I want to call this, it's a bit of a mouthful, but insatiable consumerism. Armies march on their stomach. And David is going backwards and forwards with the donkeys laden with food to enable his brothers to to resource and to refuel from the energy of attack. The trouble is, they're not doing any fighting. 
And all they're doing is having all this food brought into the camp and they're just gorging themselves on nice cheeses and breads and everything else and yet the aim has been lost. And David comes in and says, hang on, what's, what's going on here? Our nation has moved from the industrial revolution years of production to the 21st century of consumption. Desires and wants have become far more important than contributing in our society. I want it. I want it now. The shopping malls are the modern cathedrals of our towns and cities. And we have found that the consumer society has become the addictive society. Addicted to pain avoidance, addicted addicted to the prolonging of pleasure. My wife works with a ministry which... uh, uh, helps prostitutes on the streets of Bournemouth. And uh, there is an expression that she used, and, uh, just to explain it to you, it's called clucking. All the girls that work on the streets are heroin addicts. And when you need your next fix, you start to become very, very agitated, like a chicken. So you start, they say they're clucking. You meet a girl, she says, she's clucking. I'll tell you what, there are many Christians who cluck. Many Christians who are addicted to things and pleasures of this world and addiction is a worship disorder. Cravings and dependencies, not on addictive substance, but anything we enjoy, especially if we find pleasure and physical pleasure in that. Gambling, pornography can be equally as addictive as any substance like drugs. And this huge giant, consumerism, seduces and wraps its tentacles around the believer today. Church members who are addicted to the things of this world, addicted to the endless pursuit of buying. I thought the other day, I thought, you know, when I read that uh, uh, narrative of the children of Israel, their clothes never wore out in the desert and their shoes never wore out, I thought, that wouldn't do in England, would it? It's not wear out, it's it's, it's till the next Sunday or the next Saturday when we can go shopping. A huge giant. And this giant affects the church in this way. We want to have cellophane packaged, supermarket, fast food spirituality. We come to church a bit like Sainsbury's or Marks and Spencer's and want everything clear, beautiful, packaged. Yeah, I want a bit of this and a little bit of that and not too much of the other. Thank you very much. I want instant answers, instant feel-good sermons, quick fix, boil in the pot, Holy Spirit encounters, preachers that last five minutes. Microwavable plop is what you end up with. It is a giant that has pushed the people of God into this mould where they end up critical, negative, selfish, just looking for what church can give them. You know, if you come out of this morning and say, I didn't get much out of this morning, I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit won't tap you on the shoulder and say, what did you give in? What did you put into this morning? Dave's word this morning, this is a word for all of us. It isn't for individuals, it is for the whole community. We are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood. The A, the third giant, is autonomous individualism. This can be seen here in the narrative when Goliath says, come on, just choose one. I just want to fight one. Just bring one down here and I'll take his head off. Make it personal. Me and you. Don't get the whole army involved. Let me pick off one at a time. 
It's interesting, straight after the beheading, the whole army of Israel fights. Because whilst God may use an individual to begin a battle and to pick a fight, God wants the whole of his church, the whole of his army engaged in the battle for Winchester and the battle for Britain. And yet this giant, individualism, is right there all the time. You see him everywhere I go. I've travelled over 2,000 miles in the last few weeks and I tell you, everywhere I go you find individualism in the church. The giant sitting in centre stage in the church. Eve was called into isolation, independence from her husband. A giant who calls believers away from community, away from church, away from family, into their own. And the giant has a song. I am a rock, I am an island, and a rock feels no pain. See, the giant in post-modernity Britain has seduced mankind and seduced our nation to a false view that to be truly free and to be truly happy, we need to be disconnected from another person. Autonomous, self-sufficient. But self-sufficiency leads us to aloneness and aloneness leads us to loneliness and boredom and isolation, despair and ultimately to death. And this giant is alive and well in the church. Every time you encounter a difficulty, and believers, we are called to encounter difficulty, that's how we grow. Every time we encounter a difficulty, this giant says, leave the church. Go off on your own, have a sulk. Have ammonia, they don't, they're not that good, they don't understand you. Go it alone, Christianity, parachurch mentality. It's much easier to do evangelism outside the church than inside the church. And this giant has many, many casualties. I reckon in Bournemouth, without any exaggeration, there must be thousands of people, thousands of Christians we contact on the doors and speak to who don't go to a church. Why? Well, they were hurt because that happened. They weren't recognised, I tell you, because they've been taken down by this giant. Fourth giant. Call him no responsibility or never-ending rights. David challenges the people around him with the sense of, hey, 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 you have a responsibility. What's going on here? What, what, he's defying us. We should be taking him. What's going on? We have a responsibility. And the army said, no, we've got rights here. We're being fed. We're being watered. We're doing what the king says. We're wearing the uniform. We're shouting the shout. But nothing is happening. And no one seems worried. Here's another giant. Maybe some say, say the biggest giant in our nation, in our society, that of human rights. Nowadays we have children's rights, pernicious wickedness I would call it, children's rights to express themselves, experiment with their sexuality and not to be restrained or disciplined by parents. Gay rights, human rights, political correctness, it threatens faith. We have so divorced in our nation, haven't we, rights from responsibilities. We just don't see that, that they belong together. And so you get a person who wants to get drunk at a nightclub, come out and start thumping policemen on Bournemouth High Street and giving all the jip he can. And when the policeman grabs hold of him and cuffs his ear, oh, I've got rights, I have! I've got my head cut, I've got rights for health service to look after me and stitch me all back up again. They've got no sense, no, you've got responsibilities. 
You get the travellers arrived in Bournemouth twice a year. They turn up on the beautiful manicured lawns of Kings Park. They dig their latrines in the beautiful turf. They fill the place with litter. It's a few hundred thousand pounds clean up every year for the travellers. Every time they're arrested, we've got our rights. No, you've got your responsibilities. And in our nation, we've got... No one can say these things. We're all stymied with political correctness. You can't say things now. It's not wise to say, you can't say it, be quiet. You know, we, when Tash talked about Nasik, Nasik, she said there's a holy pilgrimage to Nasik. Yes, to a cesspit. There's a pond, there's a pool which is full of filth. People actually get diseases from going down into this, but for the Hindu it's holy water. And so they have to do this pilgrimage and get plunged under these, these filthy ties to come up with eye infections, ear infections, throat infections. Demonic deception. And this political correctness forces the church into a corner and says, you cannot say Christianity is unique. Can I just say, Christianity is unique. It is totally without any equals in the world. It is the only way that men and women, boys and girls, can be saved. Jesus is God alone. He alone can cleanse and heal and save and forgive and bring about a new creation. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, except through me. And the final giant, and it's great that you clapped at that point, because I just want to challenge this, is the giant of total truth silence or total silence on the church. You see, the status quo was, after the giant gave his shout, silence reigned. There was no noise coming. I don't believe anyone shouting back. And I want to say this, and it's, uh, it's nice to have that applause at that moment, because... I think the church is too quiet. I think we almost think Sunday mornings are like a library experience. Like a lecture experience. Oh, no, lectures, no. Oh, how much longer is this going to go on for? Rather than an engaging experience where you're saying, yes, that's, oh, he's got me there, the giant's hit me there. Actually, this is, just, to, just to really encourage you, this church is much more vocal than Bournemouth. And I'm the pastor in Bournemouth. So it's, it, you know, it's not a criticism of you, but it's my experience that there is very little, and I'm not talking about amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord sort of experience. I'm just talking about drawing people's hearts out to express themselves in worship and in preaching to be just open and, and vocal. Say, yeah, yeah, mm, mm, grunt, nod. You see, we can't be silent. If we're going to change our nation, we've got to open our mouths and declare the praises of God. If we're going to change our nation, we need to say that the abortion clinics need to shut down. We need to say that what's on television needs to change. When the government says about gambling and says it's all very well and good, we need to say, no, it's wrong. It enslaves people and dehumanises people. And the church needs to be the people that says, yeah. I'll take that responsibility and I will speak up. The great battle begin and are carried out not with powerful weapons of man-made invention. Verse 47, it's not by sword or spear, but it is the Lord that saves.
And what I'm amazed at here is David goes to that little stream, he bends down, and he picks up a few stones. <laughs> a few stones! And this is giant! And so you're gonna, you, as we go look at these stones, you're gonna say, oh, who am I? I can't possibly do anything. The, the church, we're a pretty insignificant bunch in Winchester. And I'm saying, no, no, you need revelation this morning of who you are in God. You're the people of God. You're the army of God. And your weapons are not man-made. They're not man-made. They're not winning arguments. They're not clever uh, things you can say. These weapons have power to demolish strongholds and bring them down in Jesus' name. And therefore we need to be receiving them. The battle that is on for Britain, the battle that you have today to fill this beehive with bees and life and honey is the battle of faith. And that battle is happening right now. It's right now, right here, right now, is the faith battle where you need to engage. You need to say, God, by your grace, I know these giants, I've heard these giants, one of these is terrorising my life right now, but by faith, these giants are coming down, even this morning. So let's look at these five smooth stones of spiritual warfare. Firstly, faithfulness in least... Now, that's taken you by surprise, isn't it? David, David checks out of sheep watching into the grocery boy, the Tesco delivery boy, and into giant killing all in the space of a few hours. <laughs> you know, you don't know what's going to happen the next 24 hours. You just don't know what's going to happen, do you? But you have to be faithful to God with what God gives you to do right now. God loves faithfulness. To be in the place of giant killing, you need to be in the place of faith. And faith comes from living every day on the promises of God and his faithfulness and being faithful to those promised in the very smallest of tasks, knowing that what you're doing, you are doing for God. When I said to an elder at New Farm Chapel many years ago, when Phil and I were part of that, I want to be a preacher, the elder said to me, go and clean the toilets. I said, how long for? He said, for as long as it takes. Years went on on cleaning toilets. I couldn't see the connection between preaching the gospel and cleaning toilets. Where is that connection? God watches over everything we do and watches to make sure we do it faithfully. And when we can do it faithfully, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, have some more. Enter into the joy of your master. Faithfulness is powerful. Timekeeping. Cleaning up behind you. Being there at a cell meeting when it's a pouring rainy day or there's black ice on the road. Making that phone call. Getting to church on a busy weekend morning when the clocks go all wrong. Yeah, I was up very early this morning. There's no greater training for ministry, folks. There's no greater training for ministry than being faithful in now, here and now, to do everything God's asked you to do faithfully. You see, I'm, I'm missing a very important morning in Bournemouth. And uh, I'm, I'm here because John asked me to be here on this special occasion. But we are sending out Andre, who's been with us for two years, back into the nation of Portugal. Matt re- referenced it earlier, into Penafiel, which is near Porto, in the north of Portugal. He's going back to be planting a church in his nation. 
And it's a very special occasion sending this young man out. This man has been exemplary in one area, faithfulness. See, he comes from a history, a family line of people that have tested God. His granddad went out there, his granddad lost his whole family out there when they were in the war, when they were all killed in a tragic uh, torpedoing of a boat. And yet his granddad lasted the course. His granddad, Andre's mum, Jessica, she's been out there 30 years with her husband and they've built this beautiful church slowly and deliberately and surely, 70, 80, all Portuguese people, all ages, all become Christian, all first generation Christians and their son, Andre, I want to take that baton and I want to go and plant a church in Portugal. What qualifies him? I'll tell you what qualifies him. I can trust that man to do anything. To wash the dishes, to cook a meal, to babysit the kids, to go, to travel, to take me somewhere. Faithful in that which is least. And God loves it. Are you faithful? Hudson Taylor said, a little thing is a little thing. But faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. Second, stone. Anointed by... God, anointed by the Spirit. In the previous chapter, we find Samuel going to the house of David's dad, Jesse, and and, and thinking, I know exactly the sort of person I'm looking for, and God saying, rubbish, you haven't got a clue. And the youngest, the little baby-faced, good-looking, ruddy one, wasn't even there. He was out looking after the sheep, and uh, God says, rise, anoint him. And David has been anointed. And time has now gone past from when he was anointed. It didn't happen on that day to be God's leader. Didn't go straight into battle. But he knows that there's anointing that God has put on him. You see, the experiences and the prophetic anointing that God has put on many may not just be for that day or even for that month, but it may be years and years to come. So this morning's message is not a pump it up, come on, let's sock it to Winchester right now. It's, have you been anointed? Are you living in the good of the anointing that you've experienced? You guys that were there last weekend, it's not just for a knees up on that evening, it's for an anointing that is going to break the yoke of giants over this nation. That's what it's there for. I lay under Lendl Cooley's piano in Pensacola, having been prayed for by Steve Hill and being blasted, stood for about one second before I flew off. And I lay under that thing, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me and he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And that anointing wasn't just for them when I got up to feel, oh, that feels really fun. It's an anointing that's living with me every day of my life because until I see hundreds and thousands being swept into the kingdom of God, I am never going to be satisfied with my ministry. I held a person last week who gave his life to Christ. He was weeping like a baby, 21-year-old bloke, snot all down my nice shirt. Anyone wants to cry on me today, go to John, you know. Go. <laughs> He's got a nice shirt on as well. But you know, this guy was just weeping and sobbing his way into the kingdom last week and I love it but I'm living I am living for the day of many, many, many 
swept into the kingdom of God. Why? Because we're preaching cleverer sermons? No, because we're living under the anointing of God. All of us are living under the anointing of God. You have the anointing. You've been anointed by the Holy Spirit. So when you speak, when you lay hands on the sick, when you preach the gospel in Jesus' name, it has power. Go and the Lord be with you. Do you know the anointing on your words, on your life, on your prayers, on your evangelism? I believe even today there's more anointing to be received by the Holy Spirit for those who are hungering for it. A smooth stone that will bring down the giants. The eye. We back on these words. Intentional submission. <laughs> Where do I get this from? Well, David is just looking after sheep. There's a battle going on. David's looking after sheep. Yeah. Come on, Dad, send me over. I, I reckon I could lend a hand. No, he submitted to his father. His father now says, can you run some groceries? Oh, groceries, great. No, he submits to his father. Out he goes, backwards and forwards to the battle line. Cheeses, bread, anybody else? He's just serving God. He's submitted to his father. He's submitted to others' authority. Saul tries to dress him up in his own anointing, in his own armour. And David says, look, actually, I, I can't go. And he says, these really don't fit me, uh, but I want to be submitted. I'll do whatever you say. And so Saul says, go. He says, okay, I'll go. And the Lord be with you. I tell you, this, this is such a powerful stone. Submission. David is a model of submission. He does not assert his authority. Actually, if you read the rest of his life, you will read this. He never grabs at Saul's authority. Even though God has anointed him king, he never lays a hand against Saul. He lives under submission to the king of kings and lord of lords. Submission is a powerful thing. If we really want to know power, we have to learn how to submit to power and authority. This giant of autonomous individualism will only be defeated and decapitated when we get a God-given attitude of submission. Slaves to masters, wives to husbands, children to parents, government and authority, we submit to it. We're to submit to our church leaders. Why are we to submit to our church leaders? Because God wants to clothe us and put us in a position of authority and power. And that only comes when we do that, when we submit to authority. You see, submission is a God word and it's a God attitude. Jesus, we see, totally submits to the Father. He can't do anything apart from what he sees the Father doing. And yet, as he totally submits, he releases heaven's blessing to the whole world. And it, Revelation, folks, as we submit to God's authority, we will know the release of heaven's power. When we say we're going to do it ourselves, I know better than John Groves. What does John Groves know about my life, my ministry, my time? When we submit ourselves willingly, we will know real authority as we speak. It's so frustrating for me in pastoral ministry, apostolic ministry, to see how many independent, unhappy Christians there are floating around who have never grown for year after year after year. And I'll tell you, it's down to one issue. They know best. They will not submit their gift to another. And it's very hard. Once you become gifted, it's very hard to willingly submit to another who you might even think is less gifted. And yet, you know, when you go to the locks on the Caledonian Canal to get up to Loch Ness, you know, there was a time that river stood well below the 
the lock. And to get a boat from the river to the lock, you'd have to get it out and damage it and pull it and haul it and all the energy, you know, expended to do that. Now, when a boat comes to the bottom of that lock system, it submits. It sits under the authority of the lock keeper, water flows down, and hey, it's lifted and lifted and lifted to a new realm of height and authority. And I want to say this, when we understand authority correctly, when we realise how important it is before God, we submit to the authorities that over government and government in the church, that's when we will really know ourselves being lifted into new realms of power. You might say to me, hi, 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 when did you last submit? You know, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I was told off. I was told off by an apostolic man over me in the Lord. Do you know what? In that split second, everything in me rose up. Who do you think you are? I'm not being paid by you. You think you're good. I'll tell you what, I'm far better than you. All these thoughts sort of collided in my head in that split second. And then I, I felt God said, do you want authority, guy? You want authority, guy? You must learn to willingly and gleefully and happily submit to others' authority. And so I said to the person, you're all itching to know who it was, I said to Dave Stroud, Dave, I'm sorry, I was out of order. I happily do what you asked me to do. Smooth stone number four, telling the truth. I wonder if David, in his encounter here, was yelling at the his own troops as much as he was yelling at Goliath. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is he? That he should defy the armies of the living God. Who are these giants out here telling us you can't say this, you can't go there, you can't do this with your kids? Who are they? They're defying the armies of the living God. They're defying God's word and God's church. There is truth that needs to be released in us. And what was ironic here is there was a gap that existed between what Saul and his armies knew and what Saul and his armies did. David very simply asserts the truth and then puts it into practice. He exposes lies and bluster and pomp by simple truth telling. Simply reminding the people of God, this is what we are made for. This is why we're in this army, to battle with the enemies. This is why you're in the church, to overcome the evil one and to tread the evil one under your boot. You know, I think apologetics is very important for every believer to understand. I think it's great for every believer to be able to defend his or her faith. But I want to challenge everyone in this room to move from mere defence to attack. From knowledge to action. The Bible is powerful. The sword that decapitates all the giants is the word of God, is the truth. And what this nation most needs to hear in the political correct age in which we're living isn't the barrage of lies and half-truth we have from politicians. It is simply the Bible says so. Billy Graham says it wonderfully. Whenever I've heard him interviewed, the Bible says. The Bible says this world has been created by God. A man in the image of God to know God. 
By him all things were created. The Bible says that mankind has fallen short. Not that he sins uh, because just he's fallen into sin, but he's sinful from birth. And the wages of sin is death. That all live under the fear of judgment from a holy God. But that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes on him would never perish, but have everlasting life. That faith in Christ and Christ alone saves somebody. Right in this room this morning, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I promise you, you will be saved. Because Jesus does exactly what's written on the bottle. He saves his people from their sins. That's why he was given the name Jesus. The most precious name on earth. The name that needs to ring around Winchester, not as a curse word, but as the name which is above all other names. You know, I was laughing about this, but I, I've, I've stood on the street corners of Winchester, Buttercross, for many years. I don't know how many years. Probably seven, ten years. Preaching the gospel once or twice a week. group of people around me. I can't remember all the people that were with me, but a great crowd of friends over the years that we've done that preaching on the open air with. And uh, people have sometimes said, how many people do you see saved? And, you know, it's probably about a handful <laughs> in, in truth. But I'll tell you what, in that handful, I met Dave Lockyer. I met Dave Lockyer when he had dreadlocks down his head and didn't know Jesus Christ. I met Chris Kilby. I met Chris Kilby who was, well, he was well out of it. Very angry with me, but well out of it. He wasn't a Christian. In fact, he was angry. Really angry. I want you to know this. When I evaluate my life, I would stand for the rest of my life on a street corner in Winchester to see a Dave Lockyer or a Chris Kilby get saved. I would. There's nothing more wonderful than a soul. Nothing more wonderful to give your life to than seeing people wonderfully rescued and saved by Jesus. And so finally, H is to honour the body. You see, it ends, the story ends, it doesn't end with David saying, hey, I've done it, I'm the champion, I'm the greatest. The men of Israel and Judah, it says, verse 52, surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines right away to the entrance of Gath, to the gates of Ekron. And their dead bodies were strewn along the road. See, this is not a day for individuals alone. There is work for everyone. We are that holy nation, the church of God. And David's obedience meant the battle was engaged for everyone. The whole army engaged. And so Jesus' obedience, his death, his resurrection... Yes, that was D-Day, but we are moving towards VE Day in Europe where victory will be finally and fully accomplished right across the world when people own the name of Jesus and surrender to Jesus. And Jesus this morning is pulling his church into battle. A battle for salvation, a battle for souls, a battle for Winchester, a battle for Britain. And he's calling every one of you to be workers, bees working to this end. Every member doing his work. And if you need any encouragement to be drawn into this battle this morning, I want to say it's a battle where you, you will be stung yourself and hurt yourself. See, when Tash stood up here just sharing about Nasik, in this last week there have been attacks in India. A pastor 
grabs and, 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 and he, he's sharing his faith. A pastor was sharing his faith in Mumbai. And uh, this person who gave his life to God, his family came around, about 70 people came around and they beat him quite badly, put him under house arrest for quite a few hours. And he was terrified. Really badly beaten up. Another one of our church, this, was not, this, this pastor wasn't an NFI church, it was a salt and light church. But another pastor of an NFI church with some of their youth had a similar experience with some of their youth had beaten up. But I tell you what, this pastor, three days later, I just heard on Friday, he's around uh, Stanley Netter, who leads Bombay Baptist uh, Church. He's around in his home, and Stanley's saying, I'm so sorry, you poor thing, looking at his bruises and all the swellings. And, the, and this guy said, you know what? He said, I think this is good. He said, it hasn't made me afraid. It's made me bold. And I want to get back out there, and I want to share my faith. I want to share the gospel with as many people as I can. Because what can they do to us? If they kill us, we go straight to glory. I tell you, we need that perspective. As, we, as you say goodbye to Tash, you need to pray for her. Because she's not going into a sort of knees up Mother Brown situation. She's going to a situation where there is real spiritual battles going on. But we're all involved in that. And I want to finish by saying this. Do you love the church. Do you love the local church? It's the hope for the world. This church, I know there's other good churches in town, but for you in this building, members of Winchester family, this church is the hope for Winchester. And you need to be absolutely stuck in, losing your identity as bees all flock together. You can't tell one bee from another, can you? Who are you? No. you can't tell it, can you? Who's doing the filling of the, of the cell? Who's going out and flying and getting a bit hot? We don't know. All we know is this beehive is meant to hum and buzz with life. Jesus Christ is Lord. And we need to be a buzzing group of bees that are, are living for that day when Jesus comes back again and that honey, that divine nectar of heaven as it were, will be taken safely back and stored for all eternity. We're living for those days. And I tell you, if you are in any way this morning feeling a little bit angsty or a little bit detached from this church, here's the challenge. Get stuck in. Oh yeah, but I can see some faults. I can see the lights aren't quite working. Oh wow, that's a horrible picture up on the screen. You can have all the things that, that you don't like about this church. I tell you, she has many, the church has many critics. She has no equals. There is nothing else on earth that can transform our earth as the church, the people of God. And if you've seen a few wrinkles, if you've seen a few grey hairs, I tell you, if my wife was to walk in this room today, right now, because she is in Bournemouth, I think, I tell you, <laughs> if she was to walk into this room right now, she would take my breath away, as much as she did on the day I married her. Because I love her. And we grow more in love with every day. Oh yeah, there's some wrinkles and some grey hairs. I don't see them. I just see the woman I gave my life to. And you know Jesus, when he looks at the church, he doesn't see the wrinkles, he doesn't see the grey hairs. He sees his bride that he's getting ready to come home for, to come back for. And to say and embrace her and say, well done, well done Winchester. You did exactly what I put you on earth to do, every single one of you. And so my conclusion is this, the barn has been built by the faithfulness of you and the faithfulness of God. But the great work is now upon you. And that work is to fill this barn with souls. With new believers, new life. 
To do that, you need to kill some giants in your life. Fear. Independence. A worship disorder where you're worshipping created things rather than the Creator. Where it's left you silent. When was the last time you shared your faith? It's left you silent. There is power here this morning. There is power for all, every one of us. There is an anointing for every one of us to go from this place with the power, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord on us, anointing us to bring those giants down, anointing us to preach good news to the poor, anointing us to fly to the farthest reaches, the fields that are many miles away from here, and to bring in, bring in new life.